Hi, and welcome to this Word in Season. Today we'll be hearing from Pastor Justin Naidu from Zoe Community Church in Johannesburg, South Africa. The Bible says God's Word is the seed for a bountiful harvest. We pray that you will flourish as you apply the principles in the Word of God. We began speaking about grace technology and the word grace in the original Hebrew is the word chen or chen. It simply means grace, charity, mercy, kindness, to provide healing, refuge, strength, protection, and salvation. It is something that is precious, something of beauty, and something of value. I want you to see grace as a commodity in the kingdom of God that is precious, that is beautiful, and something of value. The Greek word is the word charis, and charis or charis means favor, kindness, loving kindness, benefit, a bounty. It is the spiritual condition of being governed by the power of God. Wow. Grace is divine enablement. Grace is divine endowment. In the New Testament, Paul would use 1 Corinthians 1 and verse 3 when he wrote to the Corinthians, he would say, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So he's showing us grace has a source. It comes from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. John 1.14 would say, Jesus was full of grace and truth. In 1 Corinthians 16 and verse number 23 Paul says, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. And in Philippians 4.23, he writes again and closes and said, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. In fact, it's so amazing that the last verse of the Bible closes with the very same words. John says, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. That was no coincidence. That was God speaking to us. Now, there were many prognosticators future casters, forecasters of success that we had in the past. The first was your intelligence quotient or IQ. Many people had good memories. They had deductive reasoning. So we would say this person has a high IQ. Then you had the next one, which is EQ. Very important, emotional quotient. And we've seen this becoming a very important player nowadays in terms of people being employed. Emotional quotient. And a lot of people don't have a good or high emotional quotient. They have a high IQ, but they have a low EQ, and that makes them very unsuccessful in the marketplace. Then there was PQ, when people like Virgin Active or the Health and Racket Club, as we used to call it, would give out special incentives for people who went to the gym. So some of you said, no, we'll go to the gym, swipe the card and walk around the other side. And then you have another one, which is very important to us, which is adversity quotient. This is your ability to stand in the midst of trials, tribulations, and testings. And if you don't have a high AQ in this season, you will fail. And then there was the big one, which many people then started to invest in, which was the spiritual quotient. So you started going to church, and that's why some people go to church on a Sunday, and it's proven that people who actually get to gatherings have the ability to cope better with life. So you increase your SQ, you start studying the Word of God and all of that, but there is a quotient that you all must grab onto, and that is called grace quotient. The only prognosticator for your success in this climate is going to be your ability to grab onto the grace of God. Your grace quotient. So you've got to do everything possible to increase your grace quotient. In the 1700s, you had the first industrial revolution which took place with steam power. Then in the 1800s, by 1870, electric power was introduced. And then there was the light bulb in 1879. That was the second industrial revolution where you had electric power. The third industrial revolution changed over with electric power that started by around 1950 to the year 2000. And now another revolution is AI, artificial intelligence. And that's exactly what it is, AI. But you have all these revolutions taking place. And right now, in the midst of all of these, we need a grace revolution. 
We need a grace revolution. And there is saving grace, where you receive the gift of salvation. It's a gift from God. And under saving grace, I dealt with several terms the last time we met of repentance, redemption, and forgiveness. We dealt with propitiation, which means to appease the wrath of God. We dealt with justification, uh, with regeneration, and ultimately with reconciliation. And I'm repeating these things because repetition is the mother of learning. Say amen. amen. But that's just saving grace. It's a gift from God. But you have to also access dominion grace to live on the earth. It's not, it's not good enough just to have salvation grace. You have to have dominion grace. And if you don't have the grace of God within the fabric and fiber of your life, you will live a defeated life. You will live in a grace deficient state. And I want to highlight the grace deficient state that many believers find themselves in. And you know all the M's by now, where you have recurring marriage problems. So every year on the 1st of August, you know, like clockwork, we're going to have a blowout. Recurring marriage problems, mental problems, money problems, motor vehicle problems, medical problems, monster-in-law problems. That's grace deficiency, guys. When you're unable to pray, when you're unable to fast, when you're unable to worship and to lift up hands. Listen, I don't want to lead a church that is dead. I don't want to lead a church where people don't sing and don't clap and don't make a noise and worship God. Shout unto the Lord. Make a joyful noise unto the Lord. You've got to know how to do it. It's a sign of grace deficiency. Grace deficiency is also seen in our inability to repent when we are filled with pride, when we are unable to keep the spirit of unity, always fall finding, always backbiting. Grace deficiency is when you are building your own house, like Haggai spoke about, you build your own paneled houses, but the temple lies in ruins. So all you are concerned about is your own little house. Grace deficiency is seen when you are unable to make sacrifices. I grew up in an era of church where selling your car and giving the money to the house of God to build the church was not even deemed a sacrifice. That's why some of us find it normal to do these things. But we live in a generation where we can't make transcendent offerings that means above the normal range if you can't make a sacrifice how are you going to become it grace deficiency is seen when we lack integrity when we have illegitimate alliances and wait for it unequal yoking that's a grace deficient state grace deficiency is seen when you are murmuring when you are complaining when you are grumbling Hey, this is the day the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. I'm going to go home today and I'm going to be excited because I'm going to eat live chicken curry for lunch and I'm going to be excited. I'm going to eat my food with gladness. I'm not going to murmur. Like the early church, they ate their food with gladness. But some people, you can give them roast, you can give them prawns, you can give them artela, you can give them tripe, you can give them everything under the sun and they will still murmur. You must know how to, how to overcome these things. When you hear that from people, you must know they're in a grace deficient state. Big one, grace deficiency is seen when you are unforgiving. I spoke to someone several months ago, it was during COVID, and I said to the person, the Lord has laid upon my heart to tell you that you need to go and forgive this person for what they have done. And the person, I didn't expect this, jumped up and said to me, who are you to talk to me like that? That I should go and forgive? I said, this is what the Bible says. I said, no, you have no right. You don't know what I've been through. And you will stay right where you are. You will press the pause button on your life if you continue to live in unforgiveness. But to forgive is divine. <laughs> and what do you need to forgive? You need grace. Oh, grace deficiency is found in places like Egypt. Places like Babylon, Egypt, 
wants to kill the firstborn. Egypt gave Abraham Hagar. Egypt will give you a taskmaster. Pharaoh will not want to let you go. So Egypt will be antagonistic to your migration into the things of God. But grace sufficiency, oh, when you have grace sufficiency, there's an intensity in prayer. There's an intensity in praise. There's an intensity in the study of God's word. You can't wait on a Monday for Jeremy to send out the message because you want to listen to it 10 times. There's an intensity to gather with the body of Christ. I can't miss that meeting. Grace sufficiency is seen when you have a desire to keep the unity of the faith. It's seen when you forgive easily. You don't take offense. When you sacrifice easily. This must become second nature for us as a household. Because we have the grace of God. Solomon's temple was a grace sufficient environment. The queen of Sheba came. She saw everything and she was so amazed. So you are saved by grace. There's saving grace. But there's dominion grace. Saving grace is free. It's a gift. But dominion grace requires you to give a little bit of your shoulder into it. And today we're going to find out the keys to accessing this grace. The first key is a kingdom culture. And it's found in Acts 2.42. They continued steadfastly in apostles' doctrine, in fellowship, the breaking of bread and prayers. There are four pillars. Early church, in Acts 2.42, they installed that. And when you get to Acts 4.33, you find that great grace came upon them. They install a culture, and grace is the product of a culture. What is a culture? A culture is a system of habits. What is the system of habits in your house? And we give you this devotional every week. We send this out as a six-day working plan. Start by installing it in your house. What you do is there is a scripture given to you. And this week we're dealing with grieving the Holy Spirit. And there's apostles' doctrine. So you read the verse. There's a small write-up on it. Then what we do is we talk about the verse. We talk about it in terms of the family, how not to grieve the Holy Spirit. And then we pray the prayer points that are there. And then we have the Lord's table. In a space of a few minutes, what did you install? You installed the culture of heaven into your house. And what is the product of the culture? Great grace. So if you are not praying together, if you are not having the doctrine being spoken of in your house, if you are not breaking bread together, don't expect grace to flow. How you must do it. Let me bring it right down to how we must do it. There must be a time every day in the house when the TV goes off. When the phones are left one side. Get this. Read it. Sit with it. Dialogue. Pray together. Then pray your own personal prayer points. Then pray for people that you know that need prayer. What happens suddenly? You install the culture of heaven into your home. That's the first key. A kingdom culture. Don't violate this culture and expect grace. I go edgy when we don't start on time to pray. I know the Bible studies at 7 o'clock. If I don't start at 6 o'clock putting the communion and the children will drop the communion and they will be wondering about the house and they will be crabby. But I say, no, sit, 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 let's pray. The other day, Adriel Prayed for about 15 minutes. Hey, we both look at each other. This boy is not stopping. He's praying about everything and everyone in the church. And the prayer was powerful. I didn't know he aligned the prayer to the word of God. Suddenly, parents, you don't install it. The world is ready to install other stuff. James chapter 4 and verse 6. The second key to accessing grace is humility. Otherwise known as humble ability. <laughs> Humility. What a powerful verse, James 4, 6. Muse over this this week. But he gives more grace. What do you need? More grace. Therefore, he says, before he gives more grace, God resists the proud. Ouch! God resists the proud. Now, we live in a generation today 
that is filled with pride, a people that have so much that they feel entitled to. And the word resist is a very interesting Greek word. It's called apistemai. It means to stand in opposition to another, almost like one army facing another. The word resist in its original context actually is a military term. So when you are filled with pride, guess what? God becomes your opponent. The omnipotent God of heaven, who with all his military power, is standing against a puny little Justin on the side because I decided to stand in pride. Now, you might say, I don't have pride. But today is like Alcoholics Anonymous when we came here. Anybody been to the AA? I've been to the AA, not because I had a problem, but I had to take somebody along. But when I got there, I was so amazed. I was so amazed because the first thing they said when you get there, Hi, my name is Justin. I'm an alcoholic. And I've been clean for 25 years. And I thought to myself, why must this fellow say, I'm an alcoholic if he's clean for 25 years. You see, what they want you to do initially is to break yourself to understand that you have an inherent flaw. That's what they're doing. So when we come to church, what we should all do is stand up and say, Hi, my name is Justin and I have pride. I've been clean. I've been trying this week. No one here today can be excluded from saying we don't have it. And I pray today that you will know how to deconstruct pride, how to pulverize it to make it dust so that God can pour grace into your life. Pride is characterized by personal ambition where everything revolves around me, myself, and I. 24-7, it's the unholy trinity of me, myself, and I. How many of you see this in our generation that we are living in? Oh, our children are not like it. Not my child. No, no, no. Personal ambition is the drive to be above everyone else. The second one is reliance on self. The third one is an inflated self-esteem. The fourth one is delusions. A delusion, Dr. Juanita will tell us, is a fixed false belief. I met a friend once, and he told me he's a lawyer. And we met many years after school, and we went to school together. So I said to him, which law school you went to? He said, no, I went to the library. <laughs> I said, Stanmore Library. He said, yeah, Stanmore Library. He said, no, I go study there every day. After so many years of convincing himself, he believed it. Fifth one is entitlement. Movements. Movements like woke. Must go broke. But let's go to personal ambition. Personal ambition is this desire to be above everyone else. It is an ambition that excludes God. And if God is included... The purpose is to use God to be above everyone else. Lucifer in, in Isaiah 14, he said, I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit in the mount of the congregation. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. You have the disciples of Jesus and one wanted to sit on the right. The other wanted to sit on the left. You have people like Absalom. Imagine your father is King David. This is what Absalom says. Oh, if I were made judge. And if every man which had a case would come to me, I would give him justice. That is pride. The second thing is reliance. Reliance on self. I mean, if you know the verse from Proverbs chapter 3, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own. When we grew up, that was how we lived. Memorizing those verses, coming in the front, draw your sword, open to Proverbs, boom, Proverbs 3. Trust in the Lord. But when you got pride, you are reliant on your own righteousness. You are reliant on your own way. You are reliant on your own might and your own resources. 
You are reliant on your own strength. You are reliant on your own position. Like King Saul. King Saul didn't wait. He didn't, couldn't wait for Samuel to come. Couldn't wait to offer the offering when Samuel. He just wanted to do it because he thought he was strong. Same thing Uzziah did. You are reliant on your own prosperity. Like the man in Luke 12 who said, Soul, you have much goods. Take your ease. Eat, drink, and be merry. That's what we have today. A people who are reliant on themselves. The strength that you have. The strength that you have, God gave you the strength. The money that you have, God gave you the money. The car that you have, God gave you the car. But we relied on our own strength, our own prosperity. The big one for me is inflated self-esteem. When a person has an inflated self-esteem, it is manifested. I love the word manifest. Remember they say demons manifest. But pride is manifested as conceit, arrogance, boasting, haughtiness, self-exaltation, self-righteousness. The classic case is in Daniel 4.30. King Nebuchadnezzar, this is what he said. The king spoke and said, Is this not great Babylon that I have built for a royal dwelling by my mighty power and for the honor of my majesty? You know what happened to King Nebuchadnezzar? In the next verse, God dethroned him. He was walking around like an animal. Lost his mind. Another one is Pharaoh. Pharaoh said, who is the Lord? Exodus 5 and verse 2. Who is the Lord that I should obey his voice? I know not the Lord. Neither will I let Israel go. You got enough examples to know by now that you can be Pharaoh. You can be Nebuchadnezzar. You can be whoever you are. God can cut you down to size just like that. The Pharisees stood and prayed. This is another example. God, listen to how people are praying. God, I thank you. I'm not like the other men. Extortioners, unjust, adulterers. Or even as this text quality, I went to church, I had people pray like that. In the prayer, they give you the message. I am not like this fellow. Sometimes even in the prayer, they used to gossip. The gossip used to come out in the prayer. <laughs> then you have a delusional culture. Delusions of grandeur. You know what delusions of grandeur is? There's a false belief that you are superior to others. Oh, this is what we got. You walk into the room and you think to yourself, you are the next best thing to slice bread and no one in this room is like me. Delusions that outward cleansing is sanctification. Delusions that riches give you security. Like the man in Luke 12, soul, you have many riches, laid for many years, take it easy, eat, drink, and be merry. God can send one earthquake and take away everything you built. Don't live in the delusion that riches will give you security. You can be like the Jews. They have this delusion that they are saved because of their relationship with Abraham. And lastly, pride is seen when you are entitled. There are many people that had this in the Bible. People like Korah. They were entitled to spiritual security, positions of authority like Korah, Miriam, and Uzzah, entitled to possessions, entitled to blessings like Naaman, entitled to attention and admiration like Haman. These are all examples. Now, people are entitled. How I many of you have children and the children feel they're entitled to it? Children, you must ask yourself, what is your right and what is your privilege? Today, our children growing up, they think it's a right to have ice cream every day. Parents, I want to just give you a sidebar issue here. Make it hard for your children. Don't make it easy for them. Wealthy people of the world make it very difficult for their children because it took a long time to get to where they are. I was telling Adriel, when I was a son of three, my mother told me, if you come out first, I'll buy you a new bicycle. Hey, I was working hard. I came out second. They didn't buy it. I had to work hard until I came out first the following year and then I got the bicycle. Sometimes 
our children are growing up with an entitlement culture people come to church they have a sense of entitlement Miriam thought she and Moses were equal you see pride one of the classic ways of understanding pride is to see leprosy the physical disease of leprosy can be equated to pride because when a person is leprous the tissues the nerve endings loses its sensitivity when a person has pride the only person they care about is themselves they lose sensitivity to everyone else around them when a person has pride they isolate themselves like Miriam had to be numbers 12 she had to be ejected from the fellowship so she couldn't be with everyone else until she was better than they should, then they could come back i went to a leper colony in india where lepers literally live all by themselves because they are unclean people who have spiritual leprosy don't like to fellowship with the rest of the body they come to church for themselves let's see how the lord will anoint me today i need a word from god people who have leprosy always have opposition to delegated authority people who have leprosy will always have an undercurrent or an ulterior motive like gehazi when gehazi saw naaman going off naaman was healed from leprosy elisha didn't want anything naaman gave to him but gehazi ran after him took the goods and when he stood before elisha elisha said where have you been did not my spirit go with you and he became leprous just like that People who got leprosy are ungrateful. 10 lepers got healed. Jesus said, "Where are the other 9?" <laughs> Always ungrateful. So let's do the pride test. Are you ready? My wife always talks to me about my pride test. So I went and upgraded it, ma'am. It's good to have a sharp wife. You know why it sharpens you up. If I didn't have a sharp wife, I should have been very very blunt. Do you despise public schooling? Number 2. Do you look down on other races? Wait, let me stop there. If I come to your house and if I find out you got separate cutlery and crockery for other race groups in your house, you will be in big trouble with me. Are you okay to receive a second hand gift? Bring your second hand X5 to me, I'm happy. No problem. Anything you got even if it's a sweet I'm happy to receive it. There are people that can't receive second hand gifts. There are people who can't receive gifts. See if it's your birthday party. Somebody want to buy you a gift. Let them buy you a gift. Next one. You don't like to sit in a Toyota. You only want to sit in a Mercedes. Do you find it easy to say sorry when you mess up lord help us that's a hard one do you find it difficult to celebrate other people's successes are you happy when people who are once worse than you are now doing better than you these are all things now that you have to go and you have to ask yourself is this in me do you feel it demeaning to sit under someone else's ministry do you get angry when you are ignored so when they give the vote of thanks You are that person that we have to say those words for for those whose names we haven't mentioned we want to say thank you when you mess up can you approach the person that you offended and say sorry those of us who are in ministry are we title conscious the other day a pastor phoned me i said oh, good day pastor he said hi justin how are you doing he said i hope you don't mind I call you just I said no problem pastor you can call me justin you can call me bishop you can call me servant I don't mind I love my name The world gave me a title I don't use my title So why do I need to be title conscious In certain parts of our country it's become a pandemic where everybody in the church wants to be called pastor and the pastor wants to be called apostle and the apostle wants to be called bishop get over yourself when you go to heaven and you stand before the lord he's not going to say to you well done my chief apostle of apostles let me further highlight this to you because some of you are in ministry here and you're going to be in ministry when an electrician comes to fix the light bulb we don't say good morning electrician mervin we worried about him getting the lights on 
My job is to get the lights on, whether you call me by my name. And I know for us, I cannot call most of the people in my circle I, as a sign of respect. I would call them pastor and refer to them in that way. But it's not an issue. Can you forgive like Christ? Can you shop in Raza Plaza? Because hey, we only want to go to Center City to shop. Are you a team player? Can you pass the ball? There's a lot of stuff that we have to check out in ourselves because we're not accessing grace. The requirement of the heavens right now is spiritual brokenness. Where we become vulnerable, where we place our absolute trust and hope in the Lord, it is like King Josiah who had a tender heart toward God. Where you can wake up every morning, raise your hands and say, without him, I can do nothing. This is to adopt the lamb posture, to come to God with the attitude of repentance, of confession, of complete brokenness before God. Some of us go through circumstances that break us. But I'm not referring to that primarily today. To be broken before God is to come with this posture of saying, without you, Lord, I can do nothing. It is better for you to fall on the rock than the rock to fall on you. It is better for you to break yourself than for God to break you. Sometimes trials, tribulations, and testings can make us bitter towards God. Because you might say, Lord, I served you so faithfully. Why me? Don't allow the trial, the tribulation, and the testing to make you bitter toward God. Rather, allow it to break you and form you into the son that he wants. Amen. Amen. Psalm 51 and verse 17. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken spirit and a contrite heart. These, O oh God, you will not despise. David committed adultery. David messed up. And he comes before God and he says, the sacrifices of God, not of you and me, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit and a contrite heart. These, O oh God, you will not despise. Let's go to Isaiah 66 and verse number two. It starts off in verse one where God says, heaven is my throne, the earth is my footstool. In verse two he says, for all those things, heaven and earth, my hand has made. The galaxies, the planets, and all those things exist, says the Lord. But on this one will I look on him who is poor and of a contrite spirit and him who trembles at my word. God is saying, I am in scanning mode. My eyes travel to and fro the whole earth and I'm looking for the one. The one who is not poor in terms of not having resource or rent. The one who is broken, one who is contrite and one who trembles at my word. We have lost our trembling at the word of God. When God's word is spoken like last weekend, do we take the word, listen to it, listen to it, make notes, say, no, this is where the word is. This is the adjustment I need to make. This is the word. This is the adjustment. Does the word of God make you tremble? Matthew 5, verse 3, the Beatitudes, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Blessed are the broken, contrite in spirit, the humble in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom. The kingdom is dominion, rulership, authority. Blessed, mega, macro is the person who is broken in spirit. Dominion and rulership don't come to prideful people. 
Sometimes we get broken in life, but sometimes you have to break yourself. Psalm 34 and verse 18, because we want to access grace. This week, make a date with yourself to fast and pray, to draw near to God. Psalm 34 verse 18, the Lord is near to those who have a broken spirit and save such as have a contract. The Lord is near. You know, even this morning when I got up, I was saying, Lord, the one thing I don't want in my life is to feel distant from you and to know that you are not near to me. The Bible says the kingdom is near to you, then the kingdom is within you. When God is near to you, you feel strength, you feel power, you know that you can get through any circumstance. But he's near to the one who has a contrite and a broken heart. You want to be near to God? Posture yourself in brokenness. The sons of Zebedee wanted to sit at the right and the left of Jesus. These were disciples. They were not broken. Jesus took them through three and a half years of training to break them. Many people, like the sons of Zebedee, want position, but they don't have the posture right. You will cause great disaster to everyone under your leadership and care if you are not broken. Ask us about political leaders that are within our country. Because we live for ourselves, we don't live for the benefit of others. God has an address. If you turn to the directory, you know we used to turn to the directory. Isaiah 57 and verse 15, you will find out what's God's address. For thus says the high and the lofty one, who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy, I dwell in the high and holy place with him who has a contrite and a humble spirit to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. God's address, I dwell with the one who has a contrite and a humble spirit. In the work of the ministry, we encounter many people every day. When you sit with me at a table, the first thing I say to you, many of you know this, no matter how bad it is, tell me, I can handle it. And when we sit across the table, you meet people who are filled with pride, who will cover up everything and not tell you the truth. You see the thing about pride, pride is deceitful. And when you are deceitful, it means you are duplicit. You are double-minded. You are, I love the Afrikaans word. The Afrikaans word is Two-faced. But like in Afrikaans, it sounds better. You gotta get the bring, bring, bring that here, bring that here. Ek hoom Afrikaans to praat, ek hoom Afrikaans to sing, ek is Afrikaana. You know why today I have to be Afrikaana, it's so cold, I have to wear my short pants and put my sock. Double mouth. John 1.47 Jesus saw Nathanael coming to him and said, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. You meet a humble person, they tell you, hey, you know what, I got nothing, man. In the last 15 rand I got, take it by the loaf of bread. Transparency is the hallmark of a person with a contrite heart. Transparency, like the city coming out of God in the book of Revelation, that was as transparent glass. When people see you, they must see right through you. So when you sit with people and they don't tell you the truth, but the truth comes out, boom! It was not a problem with the addiction. It was not a problem with something they were going through. It is a deep internal construct of the heart called pride. And pride has a loyal friend called rebellion. Pride and rebellion move together. I can talk about this in slang language. One of the days we're going to rewrite the Bible in slang for those who don't understand King James. Pride as a loyal friend in rebellion. 
You watch people who are filled with pride, they're always rebellious, non-conformist, opinionated, lawless, emotional immaturity. The list can go on and on and on. But you as a son of God, you must display humility. Humility. Let's talk about the Lord Jesus. 1 Peter 2.22 Who committed no sin, nor was deceit found in his mouth. It takes great humility to say I am wrong. Let's bring this home to where we are today. It takes great humility in your marriage with your children to say I am wrong. I'm sorry, I messed up. For many people, they'll rather suffer and cover up than to say I'm wrong and I messed up. Achan had that problem in Joshua chapter 7. He took the wedge of gold and went and covered up. Cain had that problem. He went and covered up. Adam and Eve had the problem. They covered up with fig leaves. We've got a people today who dressed in fig leaves. Clothe yourself in humility. If you are part of this family, I want you to clothe yourself in humility. You must be able to eat to the lowest of the lowest. Social transformation will not come if we are filled with pride. When someone walks in through this door, they must feel the love of Jesus in this building. When someone comes to your house, they must not have any resistance that you have an iota of racism in you. John 12, verse 1, 2, and 3. Six days before the Passover, Jesus went to Bethany, where Lazarus had been dead. They made him supper. Martha served. Lazarus was the one who was sitting at the table. Verse number 3 says, Mary took a pound of very costly oil of spikenard, anointed the feet of Jesus, and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the oil. Mark also tells the same story. In the book of Mark chapter 4 and verse 3, Mark 4 says, she broke the flask and poured it out. Broke the flask and poured it out. Mark 14, 3. Where is the fragrant oil? It is in the vessel. The Bible says we have this treasure in earthen vessels. All of you that are seated here today, you have a treasure chest in you. Proverbs 21.20 says, There is desirable treasure and oil in the dwelling of the wise. Every one of you carry in you as a vessel, you are carrying a special treasure. But as a vessel that comes to the house of God, nothing will change if you are not broken. The Bible says the fragrance fill the whole house. Atmospheric change takes place when we are broken. Break your vessel. What we did today before the service. The thing I made you turn and kiss and hug and greet one another because we just were singing the song. No, I made you go and greet someone to impart grace to them. Why you came to the church today? You never only come to receive. You might not believe it, but you have grace. Some of you are married here for more than 30 years. I need that grace. Some of you here in this place have overcome so much. I need that grace. Look at Auntie Vaz standing here. She lost her husband several years ago, but she's standing. And how many of you know that grace is available to all of us? But you too, unbroken. So when you come, come late, move early. Don't shake anyone's hand. Hey, come on, greet someone. Grab the grace. You're broken. Take it to your home. Take it to your office. It's easy to just bark and shout instructions. How do you greet your family at home? How do you greet your helper at home? Oh, Lord, I'm bringing this down to where we are. And we want that home to be a grace sufficient place when we talk to someone with disrespect. You craft your environment by brokenness and a fragrance is released, not a stench. 
unbrokenness can leave a stench. The Apostle Paul had great success wherever he went. He was able to access the grace of God on several levels because he was broken. He was a man who held three citizenships. He was a man who studied in Tarsus, the academic hub of society. But he was a broken man. Paul says certain things. In Philippians 1.15 he says, Some indeed preach Christ even from envy and strife, and also some from goodwill. Verse 16, The former preach Christ from selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing to add affliction to my change. Verse 17 and 18, But the latter out of love, knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. Here's the kicker verse. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached. And in this I rejoice. Yes, and will rejoice. Paul was broken. He displayed his brokenness by becoming blind to the motives of others. You display brokenness when you become blind to the motives of others. When Saul was pursuing David, David was blind. He called Saul the Lord's anointed. Imagine someone throwing javelins at you, getting the whole army to come after you, but you still call him the Lord's anointed. Isaiah 42, 19 says, Who is blind but my servant, or deaf as my messenger? Who is blind as he who is perfect, and blind as the Lord's servant? God wants you to be two things, blind and deaf. See no evil, hear no evil. Anybody come by you and tell you you heard? You say, I never hear, I don't want to hear. At home, your wife says something to you. Blind and deaf. I I'm bringing it home now, brothers. Second thing, Paul says in Philippians 3, 7. This is your brokenness. But what things were gained to me, these I counted loss for Christ. Read that with me. What things I counted gained to me, these I count loss for Christ. Every, if you are broken, everything becomes worthless compared to Christ. Everything becomes worthless. We place too much of value on material things, on, on what people view about, of us and the way they see us. Let me say this to you. What things were gained to me, my degrees, my rank, my file, I count it all lost. You know, because you are family, I'll say this to you here today. I'm a bit emotional because my wife doesn't know this. But it's coming up to the 20th anniversary of my admission to the bar. And after 20 years of active practice, you most likely will become senior counsel. and probably been the youngest senior counsel in the country. But what things were gained to me? Count them lost for Christ. Next thing that shows your brokenness, Romans 8.37, in all these things we are more than conquerors. I am persuaded neither death nor life, angels nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present or things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of Christ. Paul's brokenness is seen in that nothing, whatever you are going through, nothing separated him from the love of Christ. And lastly, how do I know you are broken? You are broken because you show kindness to the people that oppress you. 
Jesus did that, and you and I must do that. In Romans 9:1, he says that I tell the truth in Christ. Romans 9, verse 1. I'm not lying. Sounds like our children, eh, when they come. I'm not lying, mommy. Some of you, when you come before pastor, you say the same thing. My conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and continual grief in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were cursed for Christ, for my countrymen, according to the flesh. This is his lamentation for his Jewish brothers. He's saying, I wish I myself were cursed. Your brokenness is seen when you are able to make sacrifices for those who have hurt you. It's seen in your kindness. Let the fragrance of brokenness fill this church. The stench of pride must leave. The fragrance of brokenness can flood this whole community. I have intentionally not put up any signage on this building yet. Because let's work it out here first. Let's work it out here. Let's work it out. Because when someone comes in from the outside that's broken and bruised, I must experience the love of the Father. Nothing choreographed, nothing planned, but everything unto God. What is your level of brokenness? God gives grace to the humble. God resists the proud. More grace, more grace, more grace. You want more grace? Brokenness, brokenness, brokenness. Deaf, blind, brokenness, transparency. It's been so great having you with us. If you'd like to access any of our free resources, get more information or sow a seed into our ministry, please visit our website on www.lifecom.co.za. That's www.lifecom.co.za. You can also subscribe to Pastor Justin Naidu on YouTube or find Zoe Community on Facebook and Instagram. Grace and blessings to you.